my name is Rebecca Loyacano, and uh, my family and I, we've been attending Wellsprings since about the end of January. Just to give you a quick background on how we got here, uh, my husband Paul and I were both raised in traditional religions. I was raised Lutheran, and he was raised Catholic. Uh, personally, I always felt sort of forced into the religion that my parents had chosen for me, and uh, I didn't like being told what to believe about God, especially since nobody seemed willing to explain those beliefs. As adults, neither Paul nor I practiced any kind of religion, and we were definitely feeling the lack of spirituality in our lives. We just didn't really know where to go to resolve it. Uh, and then my daughter, who was five at the time, started to ask all the God questions. Um, who made the world? Who was the first one, by which she meant person? Uh, why don't I learn about God in school? And then, of course, what happens when you die? We heard about Wellsprings through neighbors, and it appealed to us because here God can be many things, and we were also drawn to the appreciation of the innate goodness in all of us. We knew pretty quickly that it was a good place for us to be spiritually, and we became members over the summer. Uh, but I can definitely say that I didn't think I would be up here talking to you. <laughs> and in fact, when Ken and Paige asked me to do this, um, my response went something like, yes, but you do realize that I haven't addressed a group of people over the age of six in more years than I can probably remember. Um, and that's because I'm also a stay-at-home mom to three small kids. Uh, Sophia's six, Justin's four, and uh, the, my littlest Claire is now two. I've been home with them since my oldest was born, and though I feel extremely fortunate to have the ability to be with them full-time, I will say that living in a kid's world is an alternate reality. Conversations with adults become an exception to the rule. Uh, I'm not alone, like, ever. And Aaron takes hours, and I find myself in my 30s regularly saying things like, I have to go to the potty. You add sleep deprivation to the mix. Um, thankfully, these days are mostly over for me, but I literally went five and a half straight years either pregnant or nursing, and my life with kids doesn't resemble my pre-child life in pretty much any way that I could think of. Paige is going to discuss in her portion um, a little more detail of the challenging in today's world, but let's say for now, um, we'll suffice it to say that we live in a social environment of extremes and judgment abounds. As a parent, you feel like you're always being watched and analyzed, and parenting can be become a lonely, even isolating place. And I was definitely feeling some of that in my life. So one Sunday, not long after we started coming to Wellsprings, um, I, I had stayed home. I think one of the kids was sick. And my husband came home with um, the flyer for the spring springboards. Paige was leading a group called Spirituality and Parenting, and he suggested that I signed up for it. And at first I was resistant. No, I said, like, that's during bedtime and I have to be home. Or, like, what if something happens? And, you know, really I'm not a control freak. Like, isn't that what control freaks always say? But really I'm not. But it's just when you're used to knowing every detail of your kids' lives, it's kind of hard to let it go. Plus we had just come to Wellsprings and I was thinking, like, gosh, I don't know anybody. I'm going to go, like, share these parenting experiences. What are people going to think of me? You know, all that kind of stuff. I also tend to be a little apprehensive in new social, social situations, so I didn't know if I wanted to put myself out there like that. But my husband kept suggesting it, and uh, in hindsight, he probably realized more than I did that I needed the outlet. So finally, I gave in, and I signed up. And uh, it was my first experience with the springboard. And I certainly walked into that conference room in the Wellsprings office with some trepidation. But Paige made us all feel welcome and comfortable. She laid out some rules for the group. Um, we took time at the beginning of the session to center ourselves, breathe, and be quiet. Then we shared, all shared something from, our, from that week of parenting that mattered to us, um, something that made us think or made an impression. Sometimes they were funny stories. Sometimes they were sad stories. Sometimes they were meaningful, but they always made us think and appreciate. 
Then for our group discussions, Paige instructed us to really listen to each other, no interruptions, and she asked that we not offer direct advice to each other unless someone specifically asks for it. And I really believe that that specific guideline of non-judgment set the tone for the group discussions and allowed us to feel safe sharing our feelings and experiences. So with these rules in place, we started the springboard. More than one of us certainly shed tears that first night and many nights afterwards. It became a place of refuge from the storm of parenting advice and judgment. When I opened up about my often frustrating relationship with my son, nobody was aghast at the, the revelation that I would, my kid would sometimes drive me nuts or told me that I was approaching him the wrong way. When I shed tears talking about my two-year-old who was born with some physical differences of her hand and her nose, nobody wanted to fix it for me or made me feel better. They just listened to what I had to say. We also came to the realization, at least for me, maybe some other people realized it before that, that all of our kids and families have our challenges and our joys. Lots of parents out there are really good at giving the impression that they have it all together. Um, and then we all want to show the world that we can do that too. The right schools, the right activities, the clean house, the well-balanced meals, the sports, the list goes on and on. And so it becomes really easy to feel badly when we don't perceive ourselves as meeting those standards, which really... I don't know who could meet them. Um, but these discussions help me remember that any family, regardless of how they look on the outside, doesn't go without their highs and their lows, their tears, but also their laughs. Another thing Paige asked us to think about was this. When you think of your parents, what images come to mind and what do you remember most? And with that in mind, what do you want your kids to think of when they think of you? And the first thing that came to my mind was a conversation that had happened um, recently between my older two kids. Um, my middle one, he was three, I guess, at the time, and he was starting to get really fearful of death. And I, you know, he was crying about it, and I said, oh, don't worry, it doesn't happen until you get older, you know, whispering the, like, usually and hopefully under my breath. So then he said, well, then I don't want to grow up. And he's crying about not wanting to get older. The next morning in the car, we're driving wherever, and he's still going on about not wanting to get older. And Sophia turned to him, and she's like, Justin, don't you want to grow up and become a parent so you can rush around getting kids ready all day? <laughs> and literally, <laughs> it's like how she saw me. And, you know, when I thought about it, it was justifiable. So that realization alone, <laughs> that realization alone became a catalyst for me to intentionally slow some things down in our lives. So it all went, and we grew to love our group. We joked that the springboard was my night out but there was no place that I would have rather been on those Tuesday nights. I can only speak for myself, but it became a sacred space. And that brings me to the theme of our message, which is space. I had certainly heard people say it before, but I didn't really understand the idea of taking a break from your kids in order to become a better parent. But now I do, and I needed that physical space, that time, those breaths, and that support. Then in the summer, I signed up for Ken's Essential Qualities of Mindfulness Small Bite, my husband had taken the first offering of it and enjoyed it, so I took the second one. The group had nothing to do with parenting, but it also ended up informing my parenting in some really nice ways. Again came the idea of space. Though it was literal space in the parenting springboard, mindfulness gives us emotional and spiritual space. Space to take a breath, let go of expectation, and be aware and accept what is. What I learned in this springboard allowed me to have the emotional space not to get caught up in the reactionary behavior that's so much a part of our lives, especially as parents. Uh, a few weeks into the, the mindfulness group, I was exploring the connection between mindfulness and parenting, and I picked up um, a book by John Kabat-Zinn and his wife, Myla, 
and it's called Everyday Blessings, the Work of Mindful Parenting. The first thing that John writes about in actually the prologue of the book is the memory of a moment from his own parenting experiences where his oldest child, uh, his son, had gone away to college, and he was coming home for the first break over Thanksgiving. And he was getting a ride, and they were hoping that he would be home for dinner, but something happened with the ride, and he wasn't going to make it. And John said that he felt, and I quote, more than a slight current of, a, current of annoyance in me. Finally, his son got home at 1.30 in the morning, and he came into his parents' bedroom and curled up in bed with them as if he were a young child. And John experienced that as a moment of pure joy and happiness to again feel that connection with his now 19-year-old son. Um, and he realized that had he let his annoyance over the plans gone awry take over his emotions, he would have lost that moment of joy. And, and this is the important part for me, what if these moments of joy and happiness happen all the time and we just don't experience them because we let annoyance, fatigue, anger, whatever, just life get in the way? He asks, might they, meaning these special moments, be abundant rather than rare, available to us virtually in any moment, even the difficult ones, if we stay attuned to both our children and this moment? And so I took that to heart, and I mentioned earlier that I struggled with my relationship with my son. He has a lot of good qualities, but he's very stubborn, he's willful, and definitely the neediest of my children. He's also my only boy, so I didn't know if I just wasn't like getting a boy the way that I did my girls. Um, and I would even call him my challenge, though I certainly know the dangers of applying labels to children. Um, I had very little patience with him, and I was always seeing him as like the instigator of fights and the creator of chaos in our house. Uh, I know he wasn't 100% innocent, but I'm also sure that he wasn't getting the credit that he deserved. My husband had said to me a few times when I expressed genuine surprise when he was acting good that I was obviously expecting bad behavior if I was so shocked at the opposite. I was often anxious as to what he would do next, and I was most definitely not living in the moment with him. So I've tried very purposely to apply mindfulness to our relationship, and the expectation of bad behavior has started to go away. I invoke the idea of space again, but in a different way. We used to fight, and it sounds so silly, like fighting with a four-year-old, but we were really at odds a lot of the days, especially if we were at home together the whole day, and putting just a small amount of emotional space between his actions and my responses has made a big difference. Now it happens a lot less often, um, not that we don't have our moments. In fact, I wrote this message, and I was feeling really good about it, and then this past week has been, we'll say, a challenging one, and I started to question, like, actually saying all this stuff out loud. <laughs> but parenting, life, like life, is a work in progress. And I'm really grateful for that mindful, emotional space in the same way that I'm grateful for the physical space that I got from the parenting springboard. So in the end, the lesson that I learned is this. Uh, counterintuitive as it may be, taking time to care for myself is what finally allowed for a better relationship with someone that I love. And that's space worth making. Thanks. Hi, good morning. I'm Paige Buck. Um, and my family and I have been here for a little over three years. Uh, we have a 12-year-old son and a 14-year-old daughter. And I had to make a very serious promise to my 14-year-old that I would not talk about her today. So I will uphold that. So I want to pick up on Rebecca's theme about space um, and talk about it um, from a little bit of a different perspective. Um, and talk about what happens when we're in a space where we actually all know something about parenting, right? Whether we're parents or not, we've all been children. We've all had parents. So we all come in here 
and some of us are grandparents or step-parents or whatever, but we've at least all had that individual experience of being parented. So we have very strong feelings about what worked and what didn't and what you can't believe other people do and other people don't. And that's different than something like kayaking or knitting because we haven't all kayaked, right, and we don't know how to knit, but we all know what it feels like to be parented. So that shared experience is something that can either bring us together in space or can actually create um, some, some spaces that are uncomfortable and I would say sometimes unhealthy. And so I want to set the stage for how this happens, at least here. We live in Chester County, or at least most of us do, or we live in similar suburban areas uh, where we're very lucky to have a lot of resources, right, for our kids. We have great schools. Um, we have, like, physical spaces that are safe. You know, we don't live in North Philly where it's dangerous even to be outside. We have libraries. We have lots of resources. Um, but we also have a ton of information. So if you go down to... Barnes and Noble, there's literally an entire section, right, on how to parent. There's a book about every little thing that you could do as a parent from, like, how much allowance you should give at what age and what that's going to mean for how they invest their money long term and how you should, you know, arrange their naps and that's going to matter for, you know, how they sleep the rest of their lives. Um, and there's actually been studies that show how much this, like, parenting knowledge has exploded because everyone publishes a book about, you know, how to do everything. And then as parents and, and grandparents and people who care about children, we're supposed to know about all the other things that, that we have now in our toolbox, like different learning styles, right? There's all different types of learning styles. Um, then we have, like, attention, ADHD. And then we have things like sensory integration because people feel things differently and experience. And then we have, like, right brain, left brain. And we have things like handedness, right? So if you're left-handed, what does that mean? And... And these, we go about this as if there's, you know, very serious implications for knowing these things. And, and I'll admit to having a left-handed child. And so people would always say to us, you really have to teach him to bat right-handed because it's, it's this big advantage, you know, if you're a left-hander and you can bat right-handed because this idea that there's some important decision at all these places that we can make with this information. Um, I think, I don't know what he bats now, I totally forget. But anyway, um, we have had that conversation. So we live in this, in, within lots of resources, we have this information overload, and then put that together with this idea that we lived very independently of each other, right? It's not like it was 25, 50 years ago where there was more of sort of a communal village parenting where there may have been more cooperative opportunities, more collaborative opportunities to get together because we're working. Most of us are working. Um, or at least supporting partners who are working. So it's harder now to even be together, right, um, with all this information, and we're just incredibly busy. Um, and you add to that, and there's been some studies that um, they've interviewed parents who really talk about their concerns for their kids, and they're concerned that, like, well, what if my kids don't, like, do as well as we're doing, right? Because... I mean, Chris and I worry all the time, like, how are we going to retire? How are we going to pay for college? I mean, you can't just, like, get a college degree, necessarily get a job at some company for 35 years who's going to guarantee you, you know, a retirement package. I mean, it's pretty tough, and we know that. And so I think parents a lot are um, 
worried about giving their kids like the best head start possible, which is what we should be doing, right? We should be preparing them the best way we can. But again, it feels, um, it can feel overwhelming. Um, and so one feature of this kind of space that we have can actually feel lonely and isolating, right? To have all this information, to not be connecting, to feel that worry, like, how am I going to do this and do it well? And sometimes one way that we navigate that space between us is by judging and devaluing other people. Because at night, when you can think to yourself, well, at least I'm doing it better than that other obnoxious parent who's just terrible at doing whatever, you know, and I'll admit that, that moms are the worst at this, um, we, we can judge someone else and feel better, right? And then you get, like, one other person to, like, agree with you that, like, you can't believe she did that, right? Then you, like, sort of collude and you're like, oh. Definitely. We're definitely doing it better. So that's sort of a way to navigate that space. Um, and I'm thinking about things like who gives their kids cell phones when and, like, when do you let them get a Facebook account, you know, and who's allowed to stay up how late. And these are the things we talk about. And so think about, like, we hear some parent here has got a 10-year-old who got a Facebook account, right? Well, to get a Facebook account at age 10, you have to lie about your age. Um, and I'm sure if I took a poll, we'd all have pretty strong opinions about whether or not that's okay. Um, is this parent just going to teach the kid that you can just lie about your age whenever? And is that going to go on to create other issues? Or is that a kid who maybe has a cancer diagnosis and, like, the Facebook group is the one place where he can be with other kids, right, who can help him out? Um, so we just, we don't know, but we certainly think we know. We certainly feel strongly about these things. And so one thing we do is that we don't discuss it, right? We start to pull away. It's kind of like politics. We tend to, like, sort with people who have similar ideas. Um, and so instead of saying, like, wow, that's a really interesting decision you guys made about that, tell me more about it. Like, I want to know more about that because I'm not sure I could have made that decision to let my 10-year-old. Like, we kind of, like, are like, whoa, whoa, you're not going for a sleepover over there. I can only imagine whatever's going on. Um, <laughs> I mean, believe me, this happens, right? Like, I know who has Call of Duty in their house, and it freaks me out, so I'm always freaked out about Oliver going over there, and, you know. But I don't call the parent and say, tell me about what it was like for you to agree to get Call of Duty for your 12-year-old, because that's something we're really challenged with. I just sort of pull back sometimes and don't do it. So we hide and we create more space. Um, we don't tell parents that, like, we drove through the McDonald's drive through because it was just too late, I didn't have time to make dinner or that I got my kid's cake a giant the night before and I didn't make it. You know, we, we worry about, about not making healthy choices, and when you have to bring, like, the soccer snack, you know, there's always the mom and Oliver's team was, like, the perfectly cut oranges, you know, and, and I just can't get the oranges in time to get them cut, and I worry, like, I have to buy something. And, and I know moms sometimes go to the extent of, like, getting cookies and try and make them look homemade because you sort of rough them up a little bit. Um, <laughs> And so it's this idea that, like, we're separating ourselves, right? Um, we're figuring out, like, who's definitely doing it worse because then we can judge, like, okay, well, I'm not that bad, you know? Um, and sometimes this actually comes in the form of advice. So it's not always just the conversation about the parent, but maybe we'll give advice. And I'm sure this has happened to people in this room. Maybe we've been the givers or the receivers of advice from parents, family, mm -hmm. or even strangers, right, who tell you, like, what you should or shouldn't be doing in the market because your kid's freaking out. Um, and so there's this, like, virtual parenting police, um, which is kind of like the pregnancy police, you know, 
for those of us who have been pregnant in the room, you know, you go out and everyone's watching, like, literally what you're drinking, what you're eating, because heaven forbid you're at Dunkin' Donuts, like, having a lot of caffeine and trans fat. It's not cool. Um, but then there's this other side. There's also parents whose children are incredibly gifted and incredibly talented. And they talk about sort of retreating as well because they don't want to be judged and felt like, well, who are you to have some kid in the gifted program, you know, like, and so they pull back too, right? So this is a, this is an experience, I would say, across lots of different families. Um, and what, you know, what I think Rebecca and I are, are speaking to is that, that in a place like Wellsprings, right, we have this opportunity to do it differently, um, because all of this energy to hide and to judge takes energy from ourselves. And if you've heard Ken talk about self-compassion, which is this really brilliant philosophy that Kristen Neff has put forward, um, if we're really going to love ourselves, we also have to engage in what we can, cons- what she considers, um, this common humanity, right? It's not just all about like what we do. It's how we relate and understand what other people do too. This, this idea of like essential interdependence. Um, and Thich Nhat Hanh calls this um, sort of interbeing. Um, so this idea of the space of judgment is sort of counterintuitive to just this taking care of ourselves. It actually, like, robs us of our own energy to do things for ourselves well um, and serves to sort of isolate us even more and sort of ultimately could invoke sort of this race to the bottom kind of thing. So, like, what can we do as Wellsprings? We have this incredible community. Um, we have an opportunity to do things differently. Uh, and I want to suggest a couple things. I want to suggest that we can just recognize it, recognize that sometimes there is this place of judgment, um, whether you have kids or not, right? We judge how other parents interact with their children. Um, and then we can just decide to do it differently. And we can take sort of those incremental steps to make those changes. Um, and maybe we just start with ourselves, about our own decisions about, you know, what I think I'm going to serve for dinner tonight and how I could have done it differently if I had had more time. And then we extend that compassion to others. And so we might suspend that judgment. And I, I think about this scenario. So you go to Walgreens sort of late at night and you see a mom and it's like 11 o'clock. She's got three small kids. You're like, what the hell are you doing here with those kids? Like, what are, what are you doing? Don't you know they're supposed to be home and it's so bad for them? And can we suspend judgment to suggest, like, well, maybe there's something going on that I don't know, right? Is this, like, a single mom? Is she working multiple jobs? Does she not have a partner? Is one of the kids sick, so she brought everyone else to get, you know, something for the one child? Um, and then, you know, I think about, like, the munchkins over there and how the kids run back after um, you spirit. And I've heard people say, like, those kids eat all the munchkins, you know, so... Whose kid is it that eats all the chocolate munchkins? I'm sure, you know, mine isn't here for this service, so I'm not going to claim it now. But, you know, maybe we move towards those parents, right, who are struggling with the child who really is himself or herself struggling with putting five in hand at one time. So move towards them instead of away. Um, and I've, I've really started this type of mindful practice with my own parenting, um, and I've, I've tried um, to do it, and it's certainly not always... It doesn't always work. Um, but one thing I say to people, if I call because I've had a bad day, like I had a really, really long day on Friday um, with one of my kids, um, and I can call someone and say, I just need you to witness me. I just need you to hear me. Don't fix it. I don't want you to, like, don't do anything. And just to, like, ask for that space, right, ask to just not be judged. I don't want to hear anything. 
And then if someone calls me, say, like, what do you want from me? You know what I mean? Do you want me to give you ideas or should I just listen? And I'm not, this doesn't always work. So if it doesn't work, then you can go back the next day and be like, you know, I felt, I felt like I didn't give you that space yesterday and I wish I had. Or just, we need to be honest and authentic with each other. Um, and I want to close by saying that, um, Rebecca and I certainly don't feel like we do this perfectly by any chance, by any means. Um, but we just want to start a dialogue and we've talked to Ken about this and we've talked about like, what can we do at Wellsprings? Cause we have this incredible opportunity. This is a really special community. It's been incredibly important to, um, our family. What can we do to support parents? What can we do to support this journey? Right. And create a refuge here. Um, we've had two springboards. So what's the next step? Is it another springboard? Is it um, a discussion series, a blog? We don't know. But we'd encourage anyone who's interested in doing something, in maybe creating a team, to come talk to us um, so that ultimately we can engage all the different kinds of space, right, literal space and sort of mindful space together in this community um, to support each other. Thank you. Let us pray. Let us find strength among and between us to grant each other just enough space to be who we are and to live our lives in authentic ways, but not so much space that we are pulled to fill that distance with energies that undermine what Thich Nhat Hanh calls our interbeing. Let it be so, and amen.